This is Covered Calls with Kevin Simpson, featuring expert insights and analysis from the industry's top investment professionals. If you'd like a deeper understanding of today's markets, this is the show for you. Welcome to this episode of At Covered Calls with Kevin Simpson. Today, we are very, very lucky to meet an old friend of mine. I'm not saying he's old, but someone I've known in the industry for a long time, Mr. Tom Lydon, who is the vice chairman of Vetify, but you may know him more from the legacy firms, ETF Trends and ETF Database, which have now come merged together to make the amazing firm Vetify, which you can't turn on a financial network or go on the internet and not see Tom and his company everywhere. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Kevin, thank you. Uh, and yeah, it's okay to call, call me old because I'm definitely on the on the other side of, the, of uh, 50. I'm a baby, baby boomer though. So that, I, that's the only good thing about that. Yeah, you and me both. Listen, are these ETFs, are they sticking around? Are they here for good? Uh, you can't go backwards from now. I mean, we're having another banner year, 400 billion dollars, even though uh, equity markets are challenged and fixed income markets are challenged. It's really been the tool for financial advisors. Schwab just last week came up with a new survey. And not only are oldies like us uh, using them as their vehicle of choice, but it's the vehicle of choice of millennials as well. And it's not slowing down. Uh, I, I think at one point in time, and their guesses from our Vetify team that within the next five years, there'll be more money in ETFs and mutual funds. And a lot of people never thought that would happen. I believe it. And I, I, I don't know if you'll remember this far back, but we're, we're going to talk about the Future Proof Wealth Festival that you attended recently. I know you guys had a big part in it. Uh, I, I was thinking back to some of the very inaugural ETF conferences back in the day, regardless of who they may have been or, or, or weren't, but no one knew for the most part, what this industry would turn into. And, and one of the predecessor strategies to our flagship offering that we still manage to this day is an all ETF tactical portfolio. So we actually own ETFs. And we'll, when we can, we'll write covered calls on, on the ETF within the strategy. But back when we started it, and this is like circa 2005, six, seven, I would sit down in a notebook and list every ETF by hand what type of option chain that they had and what I would rank it on a one to five star rating. Do you imagine doing that today? You can't. I mean, they're just, they're just too many of them. And every week uh, you'd, you'd have to write down a few more. So it's, it's crazy out there, Kevin, for sure. And uh, it, there are so many big firms that are coming into the space for the first time. I mean, we got Newberger Berman, uh, Alliance Bernstein, Morgan Stanley, just for the first time coming into the space. And we're going to see that many more as we get into 23. With respect to ETFs and all the new products and thematic products and everything that's coming out, what do you think the next phase could look like? Where, where would the industry be trending? So uh, they're getting more specialized. As you know, uh, themes are getting sliced thinner and thinner. When you thought, when you think about areas like alternative income, um, you're mentioning covered calls. We're just getting started in that area. Um, you, at Vetify, we power a couple energy infrastructure indexes that kick off some pretty good yields there. Uh, but what we find when we survey advisors, very few to this point understand how they actually work. 
So I think uh, alternative strategies are going to be really important as time goes on. And then I, I'm not sure if you saw the recent SPIVA report from S&P. For the first time in over 12 years, we're actually starting to see active strategies work again. Actually, almost half of the active strategies are, beat their benchmarks in this last year, which bodes really well for those that are getting into the space for the first time. So I think active is one of those things that's going to pop up when you mostly only saw active, whether they be separate accounts or in mutual funds. But now more and more or a higher and higher percentage of ETFs that come to market are built on active strategies. Well, that's music to my ears, my friend. As an active manager and someone who is uh, not biased in any way, shape or form, uh, it, it, it resonates. And when you go through a 10-year period of a raging bull market with free money and free money trade, indexing and closet indexing alike work well. I, I look out to the future and not just for the next three to six months, but the next three to six years, and I sort of see a different landscape. So from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> Hey, I want to ask you another thing. If we talk about thematic ETFs, let's get into not not in a controversial way because I I don't I'm not here to criticize uh, by any means, but I do want our financial advisor community to be educated on single stock ETFs. And when we first heard about them, I I, I knew what what the direction would be and what the usage would be. But I'd like to get your thoughts as the as the preeminent leader in our industry uh, on on how you're viewing single stock ETFs at this point. So um, th there's a demand for them, right? Uh, it's a different structure. It makes it easier for some people to be able to have them in portfolios. Um, the other thing right off the bat, uh, when you look at the average investor or the average client that may not have margin or option um, uh, approval, you don't have to get them if you use those ETFs. So look, you're an active manager you may find that a short Tesla um, strategy may help hedge your portfolio. Uh, you don't have to get su su uh, special approval for your client. If the client wants to do that independently, it gives them more optionality. Um, I think it may have been a little bit difficult for the SEC to grant approval, but they couldn't find any reasons that, 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 that it's wrong. Um, there is this whisper out there that the, SEC is really concerned about complex products, and that would be anything that would be outside of a long-only product, anything that had leverage or any derivatives in there. And as you know, that could touch on a whole bunch of different ETFs. So there's a bit of a push and pull that's going on with expansion of the ETF marketplace, while also the SEC is looking to keep things simple, and they want to protect the average advisor out there. That's why they have financial advisors like you to be able to go through all these products, understand them, lift up the hood, kick the tires, and then make the best choices for clients. So let's go back in that time machine again, because I've owned SH, which is a non-leveraged inverse on the S&P 500 for probably 15 years. Uh, and, and there was lots of criticism when some of the products came out early on that were inverse and, and others that were leveraged. So I'm not a leverage guy. You know, I want to sleep at night. I, I'm, I'm as conservative as they come. But I, I do believe that SH has, has served our clients very well in, in times of market pullbacks 
I, I can think of 2008 and 2020 as two like striking examples. But during those old notebook days, there were two strategies, dig and dug. I don't know if you remember them, but they were two, two X oil long, two X oil short. Yeah. And, and, you know, the nerd that I am, I would track their pricing methodology every day, wondering and scratching my head, like, shouldn't one of these be up big time? And in fact, in 2008, if memory serves, and I didn't research this for our podcast, but I think both performed in, in negative territory. I know one was, was worse than the other. But the, the, the illustration there is for financial advisors and for retail investors to, to, to know what their their time horizon is when using a more exotic vehicle. It doesn't make it good or bad. It just means that if you're investing in something to, to know when, when it works, when it doesn't, and how it can be best used. Yeah, be and, uh, you're right. And, and understanding how they work and the daily rebalance and the fact that, you know, in some cases, that negative compounding could work against you. And I think, oh, look, we, we give investors and advisors a lot of credit. Uh, there's been enough warning labels out there that today inverse and leverage has a place in you know the investor community and the advisor community, and most people who use them understand wholeheartedly how they work. Um, if if an investor is going to shoot themselves in the foot, it's probably not going to be with an inverse or or leverage ETF. It's probably going to be you know with with uh, some type of meme stock or something that uh, they take a flyer on or something like that. So um, I, I'm a big proponent of innovation in the space. I think we're going to continue to see that much more. And especially in the last year or so, it's begged for innovation, uh, getting outside of the long-only bond area, the long-only stock area. There are a lot of aspects of the market that do pretty well during these markets, as you know, and that's where we can separate the men from the boys, right? Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> I, uh, no, I totally agree. And our, our audience, primarily financial advisors, are protecting their clients from, from making those big mistakes. And, and it's the same story for generations, whether it was the nifty 50 or the dot-com bubble or the pandemic boom and bust, which included the meme stocks you're referring to. You know, when you're chasing that shiny object, it, it's um, it, it's always the same ending. When you have that PE ratio and they have that funny little thing at the bottom, you, you need to have an E if you're going to be successful right, in right. wealth creation. Uh, so so I, I love, like you, innovation. Firm, firm believer that the product should be out there. Just making sure that educating the investor and the advisor as to the best ways to utilize them is uh, is, is the environment we should be in. Shouldn't be dictated what can and can't be in the marketplace. We should be educated on what we should and shouldn't use. Yeah, I I, I want to pivot to to the conference that you attended at at Future Wealth, um, the Future Wealth Festival. I know it wasn't your event per se, but you guys were heavily involved with it. You were there. Uh, my good friend Eric Cott was there. He was texting these selfies with Jeff Gundelak and just being just being out and about again must have been awesome. What what was the experience there? What does that do? Maybe as a two part question. To, to how we look at conferences moving forward. Yeah, I, I wish I wish you were there, and I know you'll make it next time, Kevin. And uh, it was great to see other friends. So a couple things. I live in Huntington Beach, California. On the weekends, I walk by that area um, every weekend. And there, traditionally, when you have conferences that are out on the beach, they're either like skateboarding events 
or dog shows or surf events or things like that. Um, but I've, very, I've been very familiar with the space. Obviously, all the restaurants, all the hotels, um, they took over four hotels. Uh, the space was right in front of the sand in Huntington Beach, Surf City. It's a, it was a beautiful setting. But what they did with the area was fantastic. All the exhibit booths were actually tents, different colored tents. They had stages at different points all over the venue as well. Uh, so whether it was entertainment or education or uh, podcasts, um, at one end was just full of different food trucks offering almost anything that you can imagine. It was a little toasty on the first day, and it was actually set to be business casual. Pretty much quickly, everybody threw off the suits and wore T-shirts and shorts and sundresses. And talking to everybody, they said, this is the way a conference should be. We don't want to go back to stuffy suits and that type of thing. The, the big thing is they were edgy in uh, what they were talking about. You can always spend time having an ESG panel or talking about emerging markets or this or that. But there, there were real good conf, uh, discussions about diversity in your office. There was dis discussions about the importance of telling stories. Brian Portnoy out, out of Chicago, who's written a bunch of books, did a great discussion on that. Um, it wasn't specific to always about investing. And more importantly, the average age of the attendee was about 35. And you talk about diverse. I mean, you saw men, women, all different colors, and everybody felt like they had a role on and off the stage. And it, it raised the bar as far as investment conferences or investment festivals going forward. So we have exchange coming up, which is in the first week of February at the Fountain Blue in Miami. Um, we are going to upgrade in a whole variety of ways. And some of that's going to be from what we learned at the Future Proof Conference. I was, I just had a blast and I was just so happy for our friends at Advisor Circle and our friends over at Ritholtz who did such a great job. See if they can't put it near your um, New Jersey shore house next time. <laughs> yeah. For some yeah. of us on the East yeah. Coast. Uh, and, and your events in Florida incorporate a lot of outdoor activities, a lot of outdoor social events and, I think to your point, the more you take the good away from that, you, you change the whole industry because who wants to sit all day going from meeting to meeting in a three-piece suit when you can be outside and really engaged, interested, and, and comfortable? Well, Kevin, that's it. And, and one of the big things we, we learned from the feedback that we had at Exchange and what we learned at Future Proof is you just don't have to have programming going till six o'clock at night. You don't have to have that much stuff going on stage. People want to spend time together, especially after COVID. Uh, you know, you talk about friends, you, do, you bring up friend like my, my follically challenged brother, Eric Cott. It was just great to see him and give him a hug and so many other friends like that that are at the conference. We're, we're begging for that coming out of COVID. So more than ever, we want to spend time together, share thoughts and ideas, have a beer, slap each other in the back and and most importantly, think about how we can improve and grow our businesses for our clients. He'll be thrilled that you had two name drops and uh, you'll hear all about it in February. In <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough, Tom, for this time. You know, it's an amazing evolution 
of, of an industry that you have been at the forefront, the godfather of. We are so lucky to have you. Hope you'll come back. And, and as far as uh, being together in person in February, I know we'll all see you there and we can't wait. Yeah. Th- thanks, Kevin. Th- this has been a blast and I'm just lucky to you know, ride this wave a little bit. There are a lot of smart people uh, like you that have helped build and promote the ETF business and the advisor industry that's wrapped around it. I think we're all pretty proud. It, it, it's really great. And then most importantly, the, the friendships that have come out of it. So thanks. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to seeing you in person soon. I look forward to it. How about a shameless plug before you go? We launched through Amplify. You know, we managed Devo, but just the other day we launched iDevo, which is an international version. So ADRs, non-domestic, looking for a little bit higher dividend yield and selling tons of listed covered calls on it to try to take advantage of what I understand is a little volatility, at least in some of the European countries. Yeah. So what's the yield on that? It's going to be massive. Um, that's a I don't know from a compliance standpoint if that's a correct answer, but we're targeting between five and as much as 9%, depending upon where the volatility is and when we write calls. Generally speaking, the ADRs tend to have a little bit higher dividend yeah. and, and there is a little more uh, volatility outside of the US. So the call premiums are a little bit more robust. But so that's you- that's right in the wheelhouse of what advisors are looking for these days. I mean, uh, the, the good news is they're a little bit more comfortable with fixed income but they're surely shopping for yield outside of traditional fixed income, even though yields have come up a bit. So congratulations on that. I'm sure we're covering it. And uh, you folks continue to pump out some really great stuff. So congratulations. Thank you so much, my friend. We'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your month. You too. Thanks, Kevin. This message does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase securities through CWP Advisory Services. Investments are not guaranteed and involves risk of loss. The views and opinions expressed in this message are those of investment professionals made at the time this content was recorded, are not necessarily the views and opinions of CWP, and may change in time without notification. For additional information about CWP, visit CWP's or the SEC's website for a copy of our ADV Disclosure Brochure and Form CRS.